Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 1147, if I got that right, in in your pew Bibles. And um, this is one we have read before, but it is particularly applicable this morning. This is Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 12, a prophecy of Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that you have given to us. God, we ask this morning that by your word and by your spirit, you would help us to come to know you better, that we would come to love and trust you more, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 53, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. We held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, And with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Again, a passage you may be quite familiar with. This is the night before um, Jesus goes to the cross. It's the night of his arrest. And he is in the upper room with his disciples. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the children's sermon of Monopoly, last week we talked about chess. And the way that we talked about chess last week was uh, seeing how it was that Paul was able to rejoice in all kinds of strange situations and how he was urging the Philippian church to do the same. So let me recap on where we've been thus far so you know where we are today. Um, And then where we're headed for today is simply this, that if you whether you have been a Christian for a long time or, and just need a refresher or whether you are not a Christian at all and been dragged here by someone who is <laughs> and you are wondering what Christianity is and what it does, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we'll, we'll get there in just a second. Um, but first, the, the recap. So the book of Philippians, that's where we are this summer. And in this book, we have Paul, the Apostle Paul, who uh, is the same Paul who was the Saul of Tarsus, who was um, persecuting Christians and was participating in the the murder of Stephen, one of the uh, first deacons of the church. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and his whole life changes. His whole life is turned around. And from then on, his whole view is Jesus at the center and everybody else because of that. And so it's kind of Jesus first, everybody else second, and himself third. And this is why when he is in uh, now prison in Rome, that's where he's sitting when he's writing this letter, he is rejoicing even though he's in prison. He says, it's okay because what I want is for Jesus to be glorified and for other people to hear about him. And by my being in prison, Jesus is being glorified and people are hearing about him. And he says, there are other problems that people are trying to stir up for me. And guess what? Even in those, Jesus is being glorified and other people are hearing about him. So I rejoice in that. And he says, and I might die and I might live. And he says, but either way, Jesus is going to be glorified and other people are going to hear about him. And so either way, I'm rejoicing, 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 because those are the things that are first and foremost in his mind. 
and his own personal safety or comfort much farther down the list. This is where Paul, that's kind of the perspective he has. That's the position he's coming from. That's how he's able to rejoice. And so we said last week, well, where does that come from? Why is he able to do this? How is it that he has this perspective where that's what's going on, where you can rejoice no matter the situation, whatever happens, we said. He said it's because it's like a chess game where uh, there's checkmate that has happened. And when checkmate happens, it means not only is the king in a position of, of danger where if they do, they do nothing, the game is over. But even if they do anything, there is no move that will get them out of check. They move the king over here, you still get them. They move, uh, use their bishop to take your queen, it doesn't matter. The game is over. And Paul is seeing all of the history of the entire world hinging on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he says, when that happened, checkmate occurred. And now we may have lots of other moves that we still might be able to make or that the the powers of evil can make in this world, and it doesn't matter because checkmate has already happened. And because of this, he can rejoice whatever happens. Because he knows this game has already uh, been dealt the decisive move. And so uh, that's kind of where he's where he's coming from on that. And that is his perspective. And so uh, moving forward then, we say, well, then how is it that people are supposed to live? How is it that they are supposed to, um, to go about things? And he tells us in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he says, this then is how you're to live, and here's why. And this is where we get into what Christianity is and what it does. What it's all about and what it is all about, what it is, what Christianity is, is a message. It's a message about Jesus, and he's going to give us that message here. But then also, more than just being a message, it is also a changed life. Where people, you and me, actually get changed, like Paul did, to live more like Jesus. To become more like Jesus. And so this is what we're going to see as he puts us here. He's saying, you know, all these things that I've been saying so far, it's not just that I have these good ideas or that I uh, have started living a certain way and I notice, hey, this is kind of working for me and I think, you know, other people ought to do what I do. No, that's not it. This is every bit of this is coming from looking at Jesus, having him first and foremost in mind. And when he sees this is what Jesus did, he says, then that's what we're going to do. Um, so chapter two of Philippians. Paul says, writing to this church in Philippi, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. That's good stuff. This is what Christianity is, is this message of Jesus, who the you have <laughs> Christmas and Easter right here in this same passage. The Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us, the one who is in, uh, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. I learned uh, yesterday that George Washington is our first president. Did you know this? I never knew this before, that he refused to shake hands with people once he became president. You guys know that? Yeah. Some did? Okay. Uh, refused to shake hands with people once he became president because he thought that that um, was beneath the dignity of the presidency. To shake hands, you know, with common folk, I guess. <laughs> that sort of attitude, of, which, of course, as you know today, has not carried forward in our presidency, but that sort of attitude where you have things that are, oh, well, that's beneath the office of whatever, you know, oh, so-and-so would never do that. that. That's beneath the office. Now, you think about who Jesus is. Being in very nature God, <laughs> this explains why Peter reacted the way he did when Jesus gets up from the table, puts a towel around his waist, and takes a basin of water and goes around starting to wash their feet. That is not just beneath the dignity of the God of the universe. That is beneath the dignity of anybody they're going to be following around as a teacher. The rabbi doesn't do that. The teacher doesn't do that. That's what the, the servants do. We've, we've got people for that. You, know, you don't do that. That is beneath you. And Jesus says, no, you have misunderstood. The whole reason that I came was to do things that anybody else would say is beneath you. The Son of Man, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that's the uh, part one of what Paul is talking about here when he talks about, you know, as I look at Jesus, this is what I'm seeing. What I'm seeing is, uh, is someone who could have, who could have said, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I have it made. And yet instead, said, I am going. And I'm going to give up, um, give up my rights in order to benefit others. And so he becomes nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and humbling himself, becoming obedient all the way to death, and not even just death, but death on a cross. The cross, by the way, being one of those... Uh, one of those punishments that the Romans used not just to punish people, but also to serve as a deterrent to anyone else because they would, you'd be hanging up there for all to see so that everyone who'd go by would be able to see what's happened. This is what happens to someone who does this. So don't do that because you certainly don't want to end up like this. And yet that's where Jesus goes. He goes to death on a cross which no one would want to do. So why does he do that? 
me ask you this. When Jesus was being arrested, when he was undergoing the trial, did he have the right to defend himself? He absolutely did. Did he exercise that right? No, he didn't. Not when he was in the garden and they came after him. He didn't defend himself then. When he was uh, undergoing the trial, for most of that trial, he stays silent. And it's baffling everybody. Why won't he defend himself? Doesn't he have the right to defend himself? Yes, he does. He's not exercising that right. When he goes to the cross, does he have the right to call on a legion of angels to come and rescue him and bring him down from the cross? Does he have that right? Does he have that authority? He does. But he doesn't exercise that right. And this is where we get into a weird uh, distinction that has to be made, especially uh, for us who are um, modern-day Americans, because we take the issue of rights very seriously, as well we should. And we uh, have our founding documents I looked up the Declaration of Independence to make sure I get my wording right. So very early on when it says in the Declaration of Independence, we celebrated the signing of this document uh, just this past week. He says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men and et cetera, et cetera, which read the rest of us really good stuff. Anyway, um, but this is core to us as Americans that we understand that we have inalienable rights that no one ha- has the right to take away from us. And so as a part of that, we have as a part of our history, this standing up for your rights, fighting for your rights, making sure that nobody takes your rights. Is that good? That is good. (laughs) That is good. Now, how do we hold that next to what we just see in Jesus, where he has the rights, where he has rights to defend himself that he does not exercise? When he has a right to stay in heaven and yet he chooses to come to earth, he gives up that right. What does that have to do with us having inalienable rights? Here's what it is. Just because we have a right to do something doesn't mean it's right to do that thing. I'm sure you can think of plenty of examples. Plenty of examples where people have the right to say something that they should not say. People have the right to do something they should not do. And that has been one of the, um, one of the parts of our country that is so great is that we will defend and fight for the rights of people even though we do not believe they should exercise that right. <laughs> we'll say, we, still, you should have that right. And no government should be able to take that right away from you. And we say amen to that. So here's what we're saying today, though, and this is where we get in this distinction. This is where it gets a little tricky. Is we have to be able to say, at the same time, I have the right to do this but I'm not going to do it. 
I choose not to exercise my right. And where we've gotten confused as Americans is we sort of have this idea that if I have the right to do it, then it must be right to do it. (laughs) That in and of itself answers the question. If I have the right to say it, I'm going to say it. I don't care what happens as a result. There should be no consequences. I have the right. (laughs) And what we see in Jesus is someone who has all kinds of rights and yet gives them up for the good of others. That's what that whole hymn was about. That's what the message of Christianity is, is Jesus Christ giving up his rights for the good of others. And so then what is it that Paul is saying as a result? He's saying, for one thing, you see at the end, uh, therefore God exalted in the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That him giving up his rights was not the end of his story either. That the end of his story is glory and honor and praise because he did what needed to be done for the good of others. This is something uh, then that Paul if you look at those first four verses of this chapter, it says, because of this, this is how we are to live as Christians. He says, think about it. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you are united with Christ, why should you expect things to be different for you than they were for him? Be united with him. If you have any comfort from his love, if you understand what it means to be loved by Jesus who would give up his rights for you and you have received that comfort, Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, uh, that we are able to comfort those with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. This is how that works. He says if you, if you have any common sharing in the Spirit, in other words, kind of like what we talked about last week, if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, then it's going to direct you to do the same kinds of things that Jesus did as far as giving up your rights for the good of others. Now, again, I have to say, because I know that there's some confusion already, that when you hear me say giving up your rights for others, you think that means saying you don't have that right. And that is not what I'm saying. I am saying not exercising the rights that you do have. And if anyone tries to take them away, don't let them. You still have the right. (laughs) Those are unalienable rights. No one has the right to take them from you, but you have the right to not exercise your rights. And so what uh, Paul is saying is if you have uh, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you care for other people at all, (laughs) he says, then make my joy complete. He says, I've been able to rejoice in all my own situations, but you know what would make my joy complete? is if I see in you the same things I see in Jesus. If I see you doing the same things that I am living out in my life. If I see you sharing in this one spirit and doing so together as a church. And so he says, so, uh, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. That does not mean that we all vote the same way. Being like-minded does not mean that we all agree on every issue. Being like-minded means including a whole diversity of people in all different ways of, uh, of coming to their opinions, and yet having the same mindset of Jesus. Being um, united with him in how we go about what we do. 
And so I talked about, uh, you know, this is a sermon about what Christianity is and does. What Christianity is the message about Jesus doing this. What Christianity does is the Spirit of God by Jesus changing us to be like this, to be like Jesus-minded. Does that make sense? To be minded like Jesus, not to all uh, just be um, somehow uniform in all of our thinking. But to have the same love and being in one spirit and of one mind. And here's the, here's the kicker right here. Verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And then in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is what Christianity does. It changes us to be like Jesus. And sometimes what we think that means is to be like Jesus who gets praised and glorified and honored. And we say, yeah, I want to be like Jesus like that. It says, no, 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 that's not what this means at all. It means to be like Jesus who, having certain rights, gave them up for the good of others, who was willing to pay the cost that love requires. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks quite a bit more about this sort of thing. Um, both in, kind of comes through in several places, but in chapter 9, he talks about his own rights that he has as an apostle of Jesus. He's like, look, as an apostle, I've got uh, rights for this, 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 and this. And he says, but, um, verse 15, but I have not used any of these rights. Why? It's for the good of the church in Corinth. Paul has rights. He recognizes he has rights. He says, yes, I do have those rights. Nobody's going to take those away from me. But I choose not to exercise them. And why? Is what we see in Jesus. And then um, chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth again, and he has this, uh, this saying that he goes back to that people were saying then, which is, I have the right to do anything. And he's going to acknowledge that. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. But not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And then he goes in and talks about what that looks like as far as the diet goes. (laughs) that they might even change the way they eat, not because they don't have the right to eat that. Of course you have the right to eat that. But if you're eating that, it's going to cause somebody else to stumble in their walk with God. Then give up your right and don't eat it for the good of them. Yes, you have the right, but don't use it. And this is what he's saying in Philippians chapter 2. As he's uh, exhorting the church in Philippi saying, this is what Christianity is. This is what Christianity does. It is a message about Jesus who gave up his rights for the good of others. And those others includes you. If Jesus gave up his rights for your good, 
And he says, now here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to say you don't have any rights. I'm asking you to acknowledge the rights that you have. Stand up for those. Fight for those. Make sure nobody takes those away from you. But recognize that just because you have the right to do something doesn't mean it's right to do it. And how do you decide if it's right to do it? You don't look at whether or not you want to do it. You look at whether or not it's good for others. And if it's good for others for you to do it, then do it. And if it's good for others for you to not do it, then don't do it. You have the right to not exercise your rights. And don't let anybody take that away from you either. That we would be more and more like Jesus individually and all together. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.